Welcome to the Mode Knit Yarn Podcast. In each episode, Annie Modisette or Kathleen Piscuzzi, or both of us, will chat with some cool person from the knitting world, someone you may have heard of, or perhaps just someone down the street who we think you'd enjoy meeting. Our fifth podcast is with amazing friend, designer, food scientist, and all-around great woman, Ellen Silva. Along with her sister, Jan, Ellen is one half of the Twin Set Designs franchise and co-host of the Twin Set Podcast. Ellen's been designing for Mode Knit Yarn for a while and has created amazingly beautiful Diana's Quiver Socks and the Foam Flower Socks, soon to be available at our booth and on our website. Ellen and I discuss social justice, working bodies, the joy of skipping, and, of course, knitting. Um, you got your knitting? I got my knitting. Get your knitting out, no, for God's gotta sake. Gotta get your knitting. Oh, for God's sake, get your knitting out. <laughs> oh. So, tell me about this knitting retreat you were on. So, this, remember the old Knit a Journey podcast? It was Susan Dolph. Yes, I do. Um, so, she did a small retreat a couple years in a row when she was doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. A couple of the folks who would go to that retreat... Just kept it going. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. And it's only 10 people. Oh, that's so nice. Um, you know, it goes up or down by one or two each yeah, year. Yeah, They rent a great big house in Duluth up the hill from the, the shore. Yep, yep. And we sit in the great room and we knit and then we go to lunch and we knit and then oh. we go to a yarn store. We go to Yarn Harbor. Oh, yeah, Yarn Harbor. I taught there. Ah, very good. And It's a lovely then, store. Then we um, go to dinner, and then yeah. we go home. Lots of good food in Duluth. Yep. Lots and of then, good food. And then we go, the next day we get up and we go up north um, to New Scenic Cafe. Okay. Actually, we went to Playing With Yarn first. Do you know that shop? I don't. I haven't been there. It is. It is... A very full house of yarn. Oh, is it? You know, yarn shops go that way. They're, they're like like meticulously, you know, everything in its place. And, oh, here's all the reds, here's all the blues. Or else it's like the yarn exploded. The yarn exploded. <laughs> the exuberance of the, the woman who runs this and her husband stands quietly in the corner, ready and ready meets. to assist. Ready to assist at any moment. So I need an Evo. And she sells little Scandinavian things, too. Kind wow. of a little... So um, I often end up buying more Scandinavian towels there, Swedish nice, towels, nice. than I do yarn, just because I'm kind of overwhelmed by the yarn. When you um, say the, the Scandinavian towels, is that like to do the hot embroidery on? Is that... No, the um, the really nice Swedish weaving. Uh huh. You know, I, I can show you an example. From... I I know. I think I know what you mean. It's, it's just the really beautiful weave patterns yeah. that you see. Yeah, and I tend to buy ones that have interesting jacquard patterns oh, in nice. them. Nice. Um, so this time, well, I, I don't know if you're going to share this with, with listeners. I, if you, I will share nothing that you don't want me to share. I will. I'm, so I'm I, a I bought good... Jan a birthday gift, Ooh. so I can't describe. That When's her to birthday? You in July. As a BM before then, so I, I just won't describe we'll it. We'll just right cut now. this. I'll part. show it to you afterwards. Nanny, nanny, boo boo, Jan. I have noticed something about myself. I really sometimes hate being the mom. Like, okay, now let's all do this. 
because I just don't like the blowback that comes, you know, from that. Like, oh, we all hated that movie, Mom. Why did you make us go? Kind of thing. Right, right. Because so, then you're responsible for the success or the failure. It's the responsibility yeah. factor. That's what's so hard for and me. And even if other people don't feel that way, it's really hard yes. to, to absolve yourself of that. It's one of my biggest challenges with planning our twin set retreat. It's, I can't even begin to imagine the sense of responsibility and angst, you know, even if it's just a tiny bit that would surround that because you've got that and you've got the sister thing. And I can't control the weather. Seriously? I can't. I, there are a few things I expect from a friend, my dear, and I was expecting a little for bit of weather control For you, maybe I could. Here. Well, thank you. For, for myself, I can't. High time, indeed. <laughs> so we had been talking, and Kathleen, like one of her mantras of life is everyone has a story, which, which I agree mm-hmm. with. I was thinking that would be a great direction for this podcast to take, because when I listen to podcasts, I listen to them for two reasons. Either I'm on my bike, and I'm listening to someone talk to me while I'm, you know, riding my bike, or I'm knitting. And I just want company. So mm-hmm. I thought, this podcast, I'd like it to be people telling me stories. So you're one of my, you're one of my beginner ones. Alrighty. So Alrighty. thank you. I'm so pleased. Yeah. Well, now I just have to make up a theme song. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> So this is, um, I'll just introduce you now. Um, this is Ellen Silva. And she is half of Twinset, Twinset. Podcast. Twin Half of Twin Set Designs. Twin Set Designs. Twin Set Designs. The Twin Set Designs podcast. Theoretically, we talk about design on our podcast. Right. And, and when we started the podcast, oh gosh, three years ago? That long? Two years ago? It's been 71 episodes and we certainly don't record every two weeks so i think right. it's been three years it's funny it seems like it hasn't been that long and then at the same time it seems like it's been a lot longer you know like it uh-huh. seems like it's been around forever yep it, sometimes it seems that way to me too <laughs> well you do it with your sister who was your twin i do it with my twin we used to have um well we still do have the twin set design actually the twin set we used to have the twin set blog right and this kind of grew out of that. Right. And it grew out of having had these conversations with podcasters as we listened to podcasts and realizing that we, we wanted to be able to talk back. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to be able to tell a little bit of our um, experience and maybe share a few things that we may have learned. Anyway, we, we felt a need to be part of the conversation, an active part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, heavens to Betsy. So what are you, what are you working on? So right now I am working on Jill Weissenberg's, um, it's a, a long, drapey, jackety mm-hmm. sweater. Mm-hmm. It's called Silky. It's really, Silka. really lovely. And it's in silky wool. Elspeth okay. Wobold, silky right. wool. Right. It's got a very interesting construction. Um, you knit a long rectangle mm-hmm. that would wrap around your hips. Right. Except that you then proceed to pick up along the, the front you know, quarter on each side of that rectangle and then start knitting up from there for the fronts. So you end up getting something like a handkerchief hem. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a that's very nice. interesting construction. So that's half of the pleasure in this sweater. Yeah. It's such a different way of going about making a sweater. I, I love things that are constructed in an unusual way. Yes. I really love that. I, so. I love straightforward, simple knitting that yeah. I can sit in a mu- movie and knit in the dark. Right. But I really like a mathematical challenge. Oh. I really like Isn't an interesting best? knit. Yeah, it's yep. the best. 
So this one has a little of both, since, as I said, you start by knitting like a 9-inch by 40-inch rectangle. <laughs> well, that's the part you can do in the movie. That's exactly right. It's, not it's a really, multi-purpose knit. It's not all anyone wants to do is knit a 40-inch by 9-inch rectangle. <laughs> <laughs> some days. Some yeah. days, yes. Exactly. No, it sounds like good travel knitting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's going to go on. It's going to go right along with me on a trip this weekend. I am taking to visit the new grandson. The new grandson. The beautiful Andrew. Yes. Now, is he Andrew, Drew, Andy? He's currently still Andrew. Still Andrew. Uh, we he, are has, he has no strong thoughts about that yet? No, and, and actually Karen's kind of said they're, they're kind of going to try to wait and see what he wants what he to likes. be called. Yeah. But he has a two-year-old cousin. Right. I think she's going to name him. Okay. I think she's going to determine I think that's name. very valid. Currently, she's calling him Drew Drew. Drew Drew. So I think he'll be Drew for most of us and Drew yeah. Drew for her for a while. But Drew Drew is a little like Doo Doo. Oh. <laughs> I'm, yeah, just, that, you know, that, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Excellent observation. We'll see what we can uh, In case anyone has a, an R problem, because some yes. people can't pronounce their R's when they're young. And I can, that, I that can mostly pronounce my R's. So I can, but it took a lot of work. I had to go like a tiger when I was little so that I could pronounce my R's correctly. I've only uh. knit <laughs> I've only knit five That's, how, that's how you know I'm an American. <laughs> or a pirate. An American pirate. An American pirate. <laughs> From the Midwest. <laughs> I listen to people who were British and I watch British TV and I'm like, where are the did your R's all go? There is conservation of R's across the world, you know, so some, some populations have more R's than others. I well, think. thank God for the so, Irish. That's all I can say. There you go. They, they, they work enough R's in for everybody. I'm not a, a, a linguist, although as I go on in my life, I begin to think, man, that would have been the most interesting thing to study. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Whalen Barber, she wrote the book Woman's Work, and she also yeah. write, worked on the book uh, Mummies of Urumqi. She has written the most fascinating things about language. And the, um, I mean, not, not just her alone, but her, her book really resonated with me, speaking about language and the Indo-European... I'm, I'm Metamorphosis, going, <laughs> exactly, all through traveling Europe, throughout exactly. Europe. And... What's really fascinating to me is when you watch movies from the 1930s, you know, 1920s, 1930s, and you hear people talking, the more high-class American people almost almost speak with a British accent. They don't say their arms very much. That's right. You know? That's right. And then it's always like the lower-class people that are like, hey, come over here, kiddo. What are you? <laughs> and, and so now people are much more ari, you know, ours, uh, use ours a lot. And mm-hmm. I personally think it was, it was the Irish coming in, and I think it was all the high-toned people refusing to accept you know, the, the pushing of the R's that was happening when the Irish, yeah. big, 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 strong Irish immigrant pushed in the cities in the turn of the last century. Because in West Virginia, where my family's all from, they say, they say, I have read that people back in the hills and the hollers speak much more closely to what Shakespeare would have spoken. That's exactly what I've heard and have that um, kind of aristat- aristocratic British accent, even. Well, I would never say anything about my grandmother was aristocratic, ever. <laughs> but my grandmother, my my family has had their children very late in life. So mm-hmm. I am fortunate that my grandmothers were both born. One was born in 1889 and one was born in 1885. Wow, and your, your grandmother. My grandmothers. My great-grandmother was born during the Civil War. 
which is very unusual. Incredible. My mother was born in 1919. So we just tend to have our children. Uh, my mother was 43 when I was born. So that's how we do it in our family. Got it. And so when my grandmother would talk, you really could hear that, that, you know, 18th century. Wow. You really could. The way she would. She, now, young, you know, I want you to. It was just bizarre yeah. hearing her talk. And it wasn't Southern. It and was, what part of West Virginia? Well, she, my mother's mother was from down near Kentucky, Beckley. Okay, and my I know fa- Beckley. And yep. my father's mother was more from the Ohio River area, Parkersburg. Okay, so so as you know, Wilson grew up in West Virginia. He was oh, born in Ohio. His right. His family, his parents were from Ohio and Indiana. Well, that is obviously what has allowed him to have a few extra IQ points. Oh, no, I, too, no, was no, born no. in Ohio, so. Um, but his dad... Was a professor at Marshall University for years and years. Oh, really? Oh. And so Wilson grew up in West Virginia, and it's it's just a beautiful state. Beautiful it's state. Gorgeous. Wild, wonderful West Virginia. Wild, wild wonderful West. By gosh. Virginia. By gosh, Virginia. By That's gosh, right. Virginia. That's exactly right. Um, Andy, my daughter, who was studying uh, environmental environmental science, environmental studies. I forget what the name of her thing is. She's in Southern Indiana studying at Earlham College. Uh huh. And they recently did this sort of field trip to West Virginia to meet with people there who were working on the, the mountaintop mining mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And she knows my family's from West Virginia. I took her camping to West Virginia a couple of years ago. And, and as we're driving through the hill, she's like, Mom, I didn't know people really still live like this. And I'm like, yeah, honey, people, st- some of these are your cousins who live like this. Yeah. Well, and you actually find it in a lot of different states in the United States. It's, it's something that is invisible to a lot of us, we yeah. go through our daily life and we are safely cocooned in our cars that take, or our, you know, buses that take us to and from our workplace to our home. But um, there, there's a lot of frank poverty in the country yet. And you get that kind of generational poverty, I, I think, in a place like West Virginia. It's almost like it gets settled in the bones, you know, like from 300 years ago. And I think... Well, the 20th century, I think it's easy for someone to move out of their family's background. You know, my family had always been like this, and now I'm going to go to college. You know, I'm going to move up. I'm going to change the circumstances of my family. But before 1900, I think that was a really hard thing to do. And if you think about my family, Mm -hmm. they've been in West Virginia since um, the Mm mid-1700s. So they've been there for a long time. Working coal mining or no actually we only have one person in the family who worked at a mine that was my grandfather he was a coal weigher but um mostly just farmers mm-hmm. just which that's not, and west virginia is not not, known for not great for farming farming country no wow. no wow yeah wow. just just basically poor for a living mm-hmm. you know <laughs> mm. <laughs> to write down what your what your job is poor i i think even today it's hard to overcome that hurdle of Growing up in poverty, people do. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I think it's all too easy for us to say, oh, anybody can break that bond now. I was just hearing somebody describe reading the blog of a 15-year-old daughter of an executive from a global company Mm -hmm. who was writing about the challenges of living in Europe. Um, And of course, the challenges involve things like what to take to their rental chalet and et cetera, et cetera. I had had this moment of, I never had those opportunities, you know, and here I am sitting in one of the most 
delightful, blessed lives one could imagine. Exactly. And I still had that impulse. And then it made me think, whoa, you know, if I feel like that for a moment, how could some child who's growing up with barely enough food to eat, let alone, you know, the the support that we could have been able to give our kids. It, I think it's still a real, real challenge. Not to say that those families can't provide incredible emotional and family support. And that's that's a topic that I think is starting to be discussed more and more of how do we, as a society, capitalize for those children on that sort of wealth, that there is a wealth in a lot of those poor families that, that we tend not to see because we just see the poverty. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you come from a poor family, no matter how rich you get, you always feel like you have a smell about you. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I know you, that my mother, who grew up quite quite tight for money, her, her father died when she was very young, and she grew up in the Depression. And I, the, the story goes, they actually ate her pet rabbit once. They were that short on food. Um, you know, if you're going to have a pet rabbit... Yeah, that wasn't a good time to have one. No. Um, but she, yeah, that certainly colored her her relationship with money for the rest of her life. Yeah. Well, and she's still alive, but oh. I would say it still does color her relationship. Which, you know, it's really only been, if you think about it, in this century, this century, and only in certain countries in this century. When I, and I, I, when I say this century, I mean the 20th century and into the 21st. Mm-hmm. That people have grown up feeling like they have a right, that it's perfectly natural that they would never have to worry about money, never have to worry about the basics, clean water, that sort of thing. I don't know how long that's going to be. I mean, I I Mm -hmm. really hope we get on the stick and try to... Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be a downer uh, interview. God, oh, no. (laughs) But... But, you know, if you think about it, it's, you know, nobody felt like it was their right in the 1840s, 1890s, even the 1920s. It was everybody's right to go to high school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't everybody's right that you'd be able to have a nice dinner. Mm-hmm. And, and and just the mental change that happened between that time in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, when people began to think, oh, it's my right to have a home. It's my right mm-hmm. to actually take a vacation. You know, things that had never occurred to people before that it would mm-hmm. actually be a possible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've slid backwards a bit. I, I do believe we have. And that makes me very sad. Well, and I think there's a little bit of complacency. It's a little bit like um, feminism, too. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, I know that we're in the same age group to remember uh, <laughs> a lot of frank and overt sexism. Oh, Yeah. Um, and I do worry that some some people don't understand how hard it was to get to where we are today. Well, I think and we're how much further we have to go, frankly. Do you remember the 1990s? There was this huge backlash, um, and I remember young women in the 90s I, having these conversations with women in the in the 90s and the early 2000s. Women who would say to me. I don't consider myself a, fem- a feminist. I don't like that word. Blah blah blah, because mm-hmm. the word had been so tainted in their minds. Yep. And at least now, I am proud to see how many young men and young women are happy to call themselves a feminist. You know, that's, hopefully we won't go backwards any further, you know. But but that's how progress goes. We go forward, we go back. We go forward, we go back. We go forward, we go back. It's a little bit like a challenging knitting project. (laughs) (laughs) Knitting teaches many things. (laughs) 
So your your mother is still with us. Yes, she is. And she's she is. in Ohio. She's or? in Marietta. Oh, in Marietta, Marietta Ohio. Yeah. I did not realize that. Yep. She moved down there. Um, she married. <laughs> My mother's had four husbands. <gasps> no way. <laughs> way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, she married her fourth husband, my third stepfather, and really the best of the lot. Yeah. She married him when our daughter, our first daughter, was just an infant, just an infant in arms. And so he was grandpa, and they were married a long, long time. Oh, that's nice. Oh, he's such a great guy. Such a wonderful, wonderful guy. That's nice. Um, and a wonderful grandpa to both our kids and all the other kids in the family. And they decided they wanted, <laughs> with all the history with her, and he, he had a little history himself, I suppose, but uh, they decided they'd strike out on their own, <laughs> go out on the, in the wilds. Right, and they, to they be moved pioneers. Down. Yes, that's right. They moved down to southern Ohio. Now, and, do they live right in Marietta proper? Um, she lives just outside of Marietta in a, you know, a, a, an assisted living, oh. independent living, assisted living. She's still on the independent side. Right. But, um, kind of really nice setup there. Yeah. And he's, he's gone. He's, oh. he, he died several years ago. Um, but what a wonderful thing to have had him as grandpa for our kids. He's just, just swell. So, huh. I'm, I'm actually pretty familiar with the, um, the nursing care mm-hmm. facilities in Marietta. I'd had a couple. Oh, yeah. yeah my, well, my cousin was the last family member I had in one of them. My family all lived in Parkersburg. Right. And, right. And Marietta is where some of them ended at okay. the end of life. Because my cousin worked at the Marietta Hospital for 20-some years. Ah, and the facility, it's not a facility. It's it's a an apartment complex. Ah, very know, nice. With... with um, with extras, we'll yeah. call it that. Yeah, um, it's actually associated with Marietta Hospital, or it was when it got started. Have you ever been to into the Marietta Town Hall? I have not been into the town hall. You no. need to go to the Marietta Town Hall, and you need to walk in and look at the floor. Okay. And what you will see is tiles that are in the shape of swastikas, because it was built, you know, like in the eighteen seventies, and it was just a geometric pattern that they did. Well, and swastikas have an ancient religious right. significance. I honestly don't believe that they were putting it down for the Hindu, you no. know, the positive. Oh, I, I think not it was in Marietta. <laughs> not in Marietta, Ohio. But neither were they putting it down <laughs> no. to represent any sort of uh, yeah I, you know, Aryan philosophy, right? <laughs> okay, I'll check that out. Yeah, I had to go to the, the city hall there to do some paperwork thing for my cousin, and my uh, husband was with me, and we looked down at the floor. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> he said, you know, it's a little known fact that this is actually where Hitler got the idea. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you guys are so bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you stopped your Marietta, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jerry. <laughs> Your mom is in Ohio, and your sister's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yes. And does your mom still travel much? Does she ever get out to see your sister? You know, she had the opportunity to go this Christmas, and she decided she just didn't want to make that trip. She's just gotten to the point. She's in her 90s. Yep. And uh, we all got together for my brother's wedding in Medina, so that was enough of a trip for her up to the north part of the state. Right. And I think she just wanted to get home and settle into her own bed. Yes, I can understand that. And, you know, I don't think there are 
many roads worse to drive on than the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, I, I truly dislike the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It is Turnpike. just evil. It is yeah. just evil. Every time I've ever driven it, it's had road work for most of it with those concrete barriers that oh. I am sure I'm going to drive into. I, know. I am sure I'm going to just like, just swerve momentarily oh. and all will be lost. It is. I, I feel like, and I know it's not true, but I feel like every time I've been on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, it's been snowing. And I know I've driven it like Are in July. Are you sure it's not true? <laughs> it could be. It's just always gray. And it's just, oh, it is, that is the worst it oh is bad news. Bad news. It is. So I have to agree with that. I could I could see no matter what age, you know, just not wanting to have that be the last thing you I see. I was in my twenties <laughs> when I decided I hated that turnpike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. So do you get a chance to get out to visit your sister a lot? I know she comes here like every what couple years? She's made it here several times. Yeah. Um, since we've started doing the Twin Set Summer Camp, I've made the trip, you know, gotten to her farm a couple of days ahead of time right. to, to do the last minute planning and, and that sort of thing. Um, once in a while, work will take me in that direction and I'll swing by. I'm hoping soon to have more opportunities because I am retiring this summer. This summer. This summer. Oh, my Lord, I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm pretty thrilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Wilson's got an expensive hobby, and I've got an expensive hobby, but we're going to make it work. <laughs> he plays chess, and I knit. <laughs> I was going to say, chess does not seem like the most expensive hobby in the world. And knitting, at the, this point, I have enough stash that it can be a pretty inexpensive well, hobby as well. You also have a friend in the business which will give you any yarn that you want, so... <laughs> I, unfortunately, I can't give you Madeline Tosh because I don't make it. But <laughs> I'll give you all the magnet yarn make, you want. You do make lovely yarn, and then see my 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 hobby for the retirement is going to be doing a little bit of design work, and I can design Excellent. with mode knit yarn. I was so thrilled when you said you wanted to start designing, and I was especially thrilled. I was like leaping about the house in a in a fibromyalgic way. <laughs> When you said that you wanted to do tech editing because you have such a good fresh mind and your math is really good, and then on top of it, you're a nice person. Oh, thanks. And those things together are so important. There's a I really have loved working with you with the stuff you, we've tech edited. You've tech edited for me. And um, Kate Atherley is another person like I that. I admire Kate Atherley. She's wonderful. Oh, my She's gosh. just a good human being and a really exceptional tech editor and a very good designer. I've, I'm reading all the stuff that I can get my hands on from her so I can yeah. learn more about how she does it. Because someday when I grow up, I'd like to be as good as she is. And I, or that's, half as good as she is. One thing I know about me is I am not a tech editor. I mean, I, I don't catch things. I am blind to some things. I'm just... I am just not a good tech editor. Well, you're very caught up in the, the whole creative process. I mean, your designs are... Fabulous. I have well, always when I said, put my beret on, yes. <laughs> no, I have I have said more than once well, that very few designers I think I think you are the designer I look at for enhancing the female anatomy. Oh well that's kind of you. Thank in a, you. in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, if I have any philosophy at all of design, it's that I I really think people are happy when they're comfortable, and I think people should be comfortable in their skin, no matter what their size or shape. And if you have to spend any part of your life even apologizing mentally to yourself for not being a certain size, 
that's time wasted. You Good know, it's you. just, I just think it's, and, and we're entering, it makes me so happy to see young girls who are heavy, who will put on a bathing suit and go out and have a good time and not let this ideal that they don't look, you know, this bizarre way, you know, people think you should look to be beautiful. That they or the realize, airbrushers think you should look like. Oh, good heavens. That they just realize, you know, you have a strong body that works well for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's nine-tenths of the battle. You capture it in that phrase, does your body work for you? Yeah, exactly. Does your body work? I, um, it makes me very sad when I think of all of the lives that have just been twisted over the centuries, you know, by people turning themselves inside out, trying to um, be something that, that they can't be. And it's, I think it's an especially 20th century thing because if you think about it, before Ready to Wear... People would make their own clothes, or they'd, they'd hire a seamstress, you know, to make their clothes. So, yeah, someone could be fat, someone could be thin, someone wouldn't live up to this, whatever. But you didn't have it staring you in the face whenever you went to your closet, mm-hmm. that I'm not a size four, or I'm not a size this, you know. Because it was your size. Exactly. It fit you, and if you had a clever dressmaker, if you yourself were clever, you could put on something that would be flattering. And that's really all that matters, you know, mm-hmm. that you look at yourself and you feel that it's flattering and then you'll be beautiful when you go out. And I, I just, I mean, I think ready to wear is a wonderful thing, but I, I, if I had one wish for the fashion industry, it's that they would change from having bizarre women's sizes like zero and two and four zero. Who wants to be a size zero? Why do you want to be a non-entity? And just, just go to straight out, by what your bust size is, size 32, size 34, like men do. Or and like many knitting patterns. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think that that's a lot more pro, pro-human. pro It's just you know? factual. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I was in high school, I was a size 16, and I wish I were a size 16 now, but I'm not. But I remember I was a size 16, and I, a friend of mine was a size 8. And I remember just lying in my bed at the point of tears thinking oh, I'm not twice as big as she is am I and it was it was horrible oh, it was a horrible horrible just lying there feeling mm-hmm. like I should never even go outside again you know mm-hmm. and just you know <laughs> so I, I think I think girls have it a little better now I hope they do I hope we're moving in that direction there's definitely some some empowered young women out there that are making it clear that you don't have to live up to somebody else's expectation. Because then you're living down to their expectation, yep. too. Yep. And you're not everything you could be if you try to be a zero. That's There you go. It's the worst. I, I am interested in bodies that work in the way that you want them to work. Yeah. I'm particularly interested these days in my body working the way I want it to work. <laughs> So one of the things I'm, I'm trying to do more of, and one of the reasons, quite honestly, uh, that I, I am retiring is I want to regain my health. I want to regain my body's ability to move in all directions. Right. To, to I, I want to recapture the joy in just starting to run. You know, just yeah. like walking down the street and feeling like running. Yep, exactly. And I think that's still possible for me. But if I wait another five years, yeah, you're going to atrophy. I think it'll be too late. Your skipping muscle might atrophy. That's right. That's right. That's I got to get that skipping muscle back. Never in let shape. that happen. 
So that's one of the goals for retirement. Or we skip a little bit every day. Yep. <laughs> well, you, you bicycle, right? I bicycle. bicycle. I do yoga. Um, I have been running. I would like to run again, but I feel like, you know, here's where, you know, it's not as much out of how I look, but more out of the impact it has on my knees. I would like to lose a few pounds so I could run without hurting myself. No, I totally get that. That's why I bicycle more than I run or walk Mm -hmm. because my knees like bicycling better than they'd like running. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And I, I totally hear you with that. And, and, you know, those are the decisions. I think when you make a decision that way, just mentally, when you're like, okay, I want to lose this weight because I want to be able to do this. It happens, you know? It's a different approach it than, is. than I'm trying to meet somebody else's expectations right. of how I should look. Right, Different motivation altogether. Well, also, now that you will be retired, you'll have all that extra time for Drew Drew. That's exactly right. <laughs> I leave tomorrow night to go visit Oh, I'm so happy for weekend. you. It's just, I am so happy for you. Oh, thanks. I so look forward to the day when I someday hopefully have a grandchild, but I can only imagine how great it is. It's it's incredibly primal, and it's so different from having daughters, though you know what? Having a grandchild and watching them, watching them struggle to come into life, watching them struggle even to learn those first few things that, that we learn, that, that ability to control your fist and bop the toy in front yeah. of you, not even pick it up, not even move your fingers in a meaningful way. Right. Just bop it with your fist and seeing him get this little look of delight when he did that. And it just brought back to me afresh how much learning you are doing in those early months. And it made me it made me just adore my daughters even more. Oh. Just remembering their journey oh my heavens. by seeing him. Oh they it is amazing amazing what babies do it, it it it's exhausting when i think about it mm-hmm. you know you you look at a baby what is he now six months four months four months sorry four months what a great age oh my yeah, goodness yeah, yeah. the best yeah, age yeah. ever they're all good ages but um you look at a baby who's four months old and you're like there is so much they have to learn and sometimes to me it's so overwhelming and you know they're gonna do it and they're gonna do it beautifully and it's gonna be a nobel <laughs> you know Nobel laureate someday. We both know that's true. But it's just so much, so much. And it is so much. And you do it the right way. It's mostly fun. But, right, uh, right. The kids, the kids are in a good place, though. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And my younger daughter's out there with him right now. <gasps> really? So She's I get taking to see, a little vacation from New York? Yeah, I'll get to see my younger daughter and my older daughter and my son-in-law. And oh, that's the best. Yeah, it's going to be great. The only thing that would make it better is if Wilson could go along, but he's staying home to work and feed well, the cats. That just allows you to go out and get drunk a little more. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I've got a baby to take care You've of. you got a baby to take care of, I know. We'll have a I designated know. babysitter. <laughs> designated, designated burper. <laughs> so... Um, you, you have the project you're working on now, which is yep. the cardigan, which is yep. the you know, handkerchief, handkerchief hem-ish, um, which, as we discussed, might be excellent plain yep. knitting because yep. it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, as with any good knitter, I know you have many things going on right now. I do, but I've entered a new phase of my life where I like to have oh, as many whips as I can actually remember. 
Really? <laughs> yeah, last, last February. That means that as you get older, it just naturally will be a smaller number. Yes. Last February, I finished everything. Really? I got everything done. Oh, you're my heroine. And then I cast on a few things, but I'd get things done. I'd cast right. on a few more. So right now, I think I have five active whips. I have a pair of socks. I have this sweater. Nice. I have um, a boho sweater that I've started up again. And you're amazing with that. Well, a lot of people are uh, into them and, and, and do a lovely, lovely job. Of yeah, but no them. one who's into them is, is my friend. Oh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're like someone I know who has done the most beautiful boho's work. <laughs> they, well, I'm, I'm envious. I can't work with that rabbit yarn. Oh, the Angora? The Angora. Yeah, some because people cannot. Yeah, That's no, right. it, it affects right. me. So but, the one I'm working on right now is 100% wool. Really? Yeah. Which, which wool it, are you using? Using Jameson or? No, it is it is a, a Swedish wool it, um, kitted up and sold by Angora Garnett. Okay. Who took over from Solva Gustafsson. Yeah. Well, Kim at Crofts here in the U.S. Okay. And she does a heavier gauge yarn for a larger design gauge bohus. Oh, okay. When, when the bohus patterns were first released out to the public through an agreement with the estate of Emma Gustafson, who was kind of the curator, creator of bohus Stickning. Right. Now I'm getting, going deep on you guys. Sorry about that. But no, at any okay. rate... Listen, I... With these podcasts, I'm going to be putting a lot of links and a lot of pictures up. And great, great. We had the most amazing um, exhibit here a couple of years ago with the Swedish Institute of the Bohus, so I can be linking I to that. I was there. Oh, I was yes. there. We were there together. Indeed. We're, I think we were. We must have been, because I, I was there yeah. virtually every day of it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember being there with you and Karen and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, Lisa and That's stuff. not too long after you moved to town. Is that true? About four years. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe I've been here eight years? Oh, my gosh. This February, February 2016, will be I nine cannot. years. Nine years. Well, I guess I, when I stop and think about it, I remember taking your kids shopping at the holidays when they were teeny tiny kids. And I mean, they were like elementary, junior high? I think about that so often, and I still have that tea... The, the, the tea kettle that you bought with Max as a gift for me, which every time I use it, it's like he wells up with pride. So, oh, so sweet. Uh, because that was the winter. They were that, very proud to be shopping for their parents. Well, they're, yes, well, thank you. We um, were a little overwhelmed that winter. Jerry was, was very rough, sick. I was taking care of Jerry. And we had had no chance to go out shopping like we normally did. And usually... Jerry would take the kids out and get something for me. I would take them out and get something for him. And it just wasn't happening that year. So you very graciously offered to take them to Target or wherever. And it was just the best. I can't remember exactly where we went, but we had fun. And then we went out for hot chocolate after. Oh. Listening to them talk and just reliving a little bit of my now adult children's childhood. It was fun. Your your girls are close in age? I forget. Two years apart. Two years apart, right. So it's, which is lovely. You know. it, it has been a really wonderful thing, and they're so close now. Uh, Jenny's been out there almost two weeks now. Right. And doing a wonderful job helping with Andrew and cooking. You know, she's the vegan yes. chef, yes. so she's been, you know. That's lovely. Providing childcare and fabulous gourmet dinners. I mean. Not just, not just, not just fabulous dinners, but vegan dinners that probably are so good for a mom who's nursing because they say when you're nursing you should eat like a cow meaning eat a lot of grains a lot of grasses a lot of that sort of thing to help your milk production well the joke in our family i i was a jersey and apparently karen's also a jersey very nice because 
the baby weight gain has been going very well. Oh my! No, I <laughs> I, I butter fat. <laughs> was one of those sad Scottish women who you know needed a wet nurse or something. So <laughs> I I had to. What's what's the? Oh, there's an herb called fenugreek. Yeah, and you can take it, and it will increase your milk production. Okay. So I took that. And it, it helped. But I was never, I, I was, once again, lying in bed envious of my friend who was a size 8 and had gigantic, I mean, she wasn't even like she was well endowed. She just had a lot of milk, and somehow I never did. But that's okay. You have lovely children now, and that's all that counts. Well, you know, when uh, when Andy, Hannah, Hannah calls herself Andy now, but when Hannah was four months old was when I got pregnant from Axe. Wow. And when I got That's pregnant... That's taxing on a body. It, it was a little bit. And I had a full-time job at the time. Um, That's taxing on a body. Commuting into the city and doing... Well, I worked at Martha Stewart Living at the time, and that was very, very hard work. But um, right at the time I got pregnant, Hannah decided she did not want to nurse anymore. And my midwife said that's not uncommon, that the body changes and the hormones uh, change and the uh, milk changes. And sure. sometimes kids, you know, you'll have a mother who's pregnant who's nursing another kid, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. the baby won't do it. So I I'll, I still have the tiniest bit of guilt. Um, oh, heavens. I know. It's, it, I shouldn't even say guilt. Just And it's not even a regret because if I hadn't had Max when I did, there would be no Max because yeah. when Max was... About a year old was when I they found that I had a rather large tumor on my ovary and I had to have a radical hysterectomy. And there would have been no max if we would have waited like we were going to and, you know, have the so kids spaced apart. How could we get along without max? Agreed. Happy max. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, things work out, don't they? It's a little bit of a Buddhist approach here. Yeah, things work out. Um, things, And if things don't work out, if you deal with it graciously, then you will find a way to make them work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mother was fond of saying, everything, everything always works out, honey. Mm-hmm. And I was such a terrible, terrible teen. I would be like, no, it doesn't always work out, Mom. <laughs> what about the Jews? <laughs> because that's the kind of kid I was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So many, many teenagers. Teenagers were or are. I had to. So. <laughs> so you have those projects going on. Yeah, and I said sock, I had five. So I said bohus. sock, bohus, this sweater, um, a lace shawl, a Sylvia Harding design lace oh, shawl. She's wonderful. Yes, yeah, she is a sweet, she's, sweet woman. She really is. Just a good designer mm-hmm. and a really wonderful human being. And another wonderful and very funny human being, Laura Ricketts, yes. designed very nice. a little cross-the-shoulders wrap-around-the-waist shawl, and I'm working on that, nice. too. And I think that's it. I think those are my projects. I will look at you. What are you working on right now? This, this is gorgeous. Well, thank you. This is a new color that I'm playing with. It's a flow, isn't it? It's Yeah, it's it's a flow. And what it is, um, I'll have photographs of this up, but um, I'm playing with uh, over-dyeing. I've been doing a lot of over-dyeing lately. So this is starting with one color and then just over-dyeing it. And it's basically taking the black and over-dyeing it with yellow. And it turns into this amazing olive green color. It's gorgeous. You know, so this is flow. And it's Hold going on, from... I've got to turn on the hot light here. <laughs> it's going from an olive green. Turn it off because it was shiny in my eyes. Isn't but... that 
cool though? Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, that was beautiful. that was black as coal. This was black as that and was then black. It, and then it gradient, and it was white, a gradient yeah. to white. Mm -hmm. And then you put the yellow over. Yeah, it. and then I put the yellow over it. So, so a lot of what I do these days is uh, playing around. We have an, one employee now, Becca, who Very is amazing. Nice. And she is really good at the dyeing, and she's gotten to the point now where, like last week, she was dying, and I was able to leave her and go to the doctor. You know, I had an appointment, and I came back, and everything she dyed was beautiful. Oh, wonderful. So it's That's good for me, because I can start thinking things up and writing out instructions and writing out, you know, recipes, basically, and hand it over to her and have her work it up. And this is just a gorgeous cable pattern. It's really popping. Which one of the yarns is this? This is our mode work worsted. So all of the yarns... Which is a merino? It's 100% superwash merino. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for um, yarns that you can gift to people, you know? And uh -huh, I think uh -huh. it's... I mean, I, there is so much to be said about beautiful, beautiful wools that are not superwash. Personally, as a knitter, I like to use superwash because when I give someone a gift, I like You're for them... You're not worried about exactly. it. Exactly. And that's my own personal preference. They are a very um, useful yarn in that, from that perspective. I have been um, very lucky to have two daughters who are avid knitters and so understand they get it, the so beauty they understand. of wool. Exactly. So I can gift them with actual wool. <laughs> you know, they have exactly. Wash. Exactly. But I will admit, with this this new new little guy that we've got. I have been knitting with superwash for exactly that reason. I think that a nice superwash wool, a garment made out of it, is the best gift you can give to a, a mom and a baby. And in my classes, often what I will say is if you want to knit for a friend and you want to make them something, your first instinct might be to go out and get a cotton or something that, you know, because people are afraid of wool with babies. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, the, you, you should wonder about that because some people have real allergies. But what I recommend to some friends of mine, and I've said this in classes, is if you have a wool that you want to use, and it's super washed, because you don't want to make the mother's life hell, you want her to be able to throw it in the washing machine, knit a swatch of it and give it to the mom, and ask her if she would just like, you know, hold it up to the baby, put it in the baby's pants. Oh, what a good idea. Just let the baby live with it a little bit, and that will put just... the mom's mind at rest. And, she, you know, because yeah. I firmly believe that 99 times out of 100 everything is going to be fine. Right. But, but the, you have to overcome that mental barrier. Exactly. Because if you just present them with, the, oh, here's this sweater, they might be afraid to put it on the baby. You could also then suggest that they wash it in the manner that they would be likely to wash the sweater. Oh, And yeah. we'll see if that works out. And then you can measure the swatch and you have your... Yeah. Yes. Your, you'd your washed you'd and laundered and wash and swatch. Yes. But you'd also find out if they're going to just throw it in the washing machine and it felts, you can say, I think we'll use a different yarn. I think we will. <laughs> Ellen is um, a beautiful spinner, makes amazingly, just really beautiful, well-balanced, lovely, uh, lovely yarn. And uh, you will try out fibers for me when I... I will indeed <laughs> do that. I will indeed. Because of my allergies, I can't really spin because of the fiber. The, it it the, flies up in yeah. the air. It's, it's very funny. I, I was looking at... Um, you know, I Often, if I'm spinning with a, a particularly fuzzy uh, fiber, mm -hmm. I'll put a cloth over my lap. Right. I had a black cloth on my lap spinning with very light-colored fiber. And mm -hmm. it looked like somebody had... You know, like shaking a cat, a white cat over my lap. It was just covered <laughs> with fiber. But yeah, that's 
good, good job putting that cloth down there. Okay, so so Ellen, you're retiring this year. Yep. And do you mind if we talk a little bit about what your job is, which I oh, find no, fascinating, and I'm yeah, incredibly be... proud to know you. I am. Um, the one regret I have about retiring this year is the work that I'm currently doing is very, very fulfilling for me. I work at General Mills in the global sustainability team, nice. and I work on watershed stewardship. I firmly believe that water is the resource we all really need to have our eyes on. Mm -hmm. It's going to get in tighter and tighter supply as the population grows. By 2050, we're going to have an extra couple billion people. Yep. Um, I tell my husband, we are if we move in retirement, we are not moving anywhere dry. We're going to exactly. move where there's water. Um, but we we also, at General Mills, and, you know, I'm speaking as an individual on this podcast, but I'm very happy to talk about the work that I do at General Mills. We see water stewardship as business critical because we make food. We, we make food out of nature's bounty. Exactly. And you don't grow food without water. So exactly. it's, it's critical, critical to our business model. And the way we do the work is we work with really great organizations like the Nature Conservancy. And we do it with philanthropic dollars, mm -hmm. which means it can't just be for our good. So right. we need to float everybody's boat. We need to help other um, people. We have to help the communities. We have to help the nature and the environment in which we're working. So, exactly. So that's a really, really fun job for what I call an aging hippie like myself. Well, it's, it's a fun job, and you can sleep at night. That's exactly and right. you have no... You, you have a nice, healthy self-respect about what it is that you do, and that's really all anyone can ask for yep. in life. Yep. It, um, as I explained to people, you know, working for a corporation has its challenges because yeah. a corporation has a business purpose. Yes. And it doesn't always line up 100% with your own personal values, but I feel that General Mills is one of the best corporations around, and I have a spot there where my work really, truly lines up with my personal values and that's a pretty lucky place to be ending my career. I'm I'm envious of that, and I, oh, I'm thanks. proud to know you. And I think right here where we live in Minnesota, which is one of the reasons I moved here, we moved mm -hmm. here nine years mm -hmm. ago, there is a wealth of companies here who seem to have that kind of ethic. And Absolutely. It's, it's For me, it's one of the best reasons to live here, because there's such a feeling of volunteerism. I know a lot of people at General Mills, they, I know volunteering is really encouraged. It's, it's a big deal. And, um, and with other corporations around here, too, and I love that. It is great. I will say that it's a growing trend for global corporations to be thinking on this level of the climate change commitments you're hearing from, from corporations, the, the presence of business at the Paris climate change um, summit talks. Yes. What was that called? I can never remember. It's the COP21, the Conversation of Parties. I think it's something like that. Anyway, it's the UN-run forum on let's make an agreement right. on how we can mitigate and slow climate change so that we can manage it. We're not going to stop it. Right. We're going to have damage, but let's keep it to a, dam or to a manageable level. And the presence of industry and, and corporations there pushing for climate change regulation was really exciting. Really exciting. And they can do it in a way that a you know, political group can't 
because they can cross borders. They can, you know, across, around the world, we are working on reducing the emissions from our facilities. We don't need a government to tell us to do that. We know we've got to do it. Um, We can influence those communities and and help other, other people come along on the journey. So we're hopeful that that word will get out and more and more governments will line up and say, yep, we've got to... We've got to make the policy changes and make this happen. Well, it's going it's, to be a lot tougher for Andrew. I, I'm going to do something now that I hate when people do it, but I'm going to do it anyway because, hey. <laughs> it's, um, your, it's your it's interview. It's my interview. I'm talking. I, I will look up this fellow. He's a Swedish fellow, and he does these talks, uh, not TED Talks, but I think he has done a TED Talk. He talks about um, the... Globe, the uh, global impact of population mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he is very realistic, but he's also incredibly hopeful and explains things in a really beautiful way mm-hmm. that when you hear him speaking, and I will find his name and put a link to it in the um, in this podcast, and I'll also edit his name in here. So, <laughs> But he he's so hopeful about this, and he explains about population growth and how population growth will get worse, and then it's going to taper and get much, much better. Mm-hmm. And it has so much to do with the education of women, and you know, he has all these blocks that he explains the different paths of it. I've never had it explained or heard it explained that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying things that are dire, but by the same token, they're dire, but they're it's 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 like being pregnant and knowing it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's my mother. Every time my mother would see a pregnant woman, you know, because my mother would talk to anyone, she would go up and say, honey, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, And they'd laugh and laugh and laugh. Except that was in Toledo, Ohio, where my mother always felt like an interloper. She never, never, ever Mm. liked being in Toledo because the people there were a lot colder than she was used to. And it was a cultural thing. It wasn't that they were nasty people. No, they were not nasty. But it's just a totally different... My mother came from, you know, Mm -hmm. rural West Virginia, where you would talk to anyone about anything at any time. (laughs) Well, I've had friends from, you know, Pennsylvania be seen as a little too abrupt and direct in Minnesota. Oh, (laughs) really? They're like those New Yorkers, you know? It's like, well, you know, even New Yorkers to New Yorkers don't seem abrupt and direct. It's just a cultural thing. It's not personal. Wow. You know, I I lived in New York for 20 years, more than 20 years in the New York area, and and loved it. Loved Mm -hmm. it immensely. Mm -hmm. The thing about living in New York was... I never really felt like anyone was rude to me. I felt like if I ever needed help and I was walking down the street and I would say to someone, hi, excuse mm-hmm. me, I'm lost. Yeah. They would be, go out of their way to help me. They'd walk oh, me to the, I you completely, know. I completely see a difference between being direct and being rude. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. In, a, in different cultures, it's just interpreted differently. It is. So. It's true. It's true, which is fascinating. And if you can... If you can approach that with an open and a generous heart, you can have the most amazing experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember going to Paris and having the revelation, same kind of revelation, that the Parisians could seem a little snotty, but the truth was they were busy. And if you ask them in a nice way if they could help you, I don't think there are people who like to help you more than, I mean, the, the Parisians all wanted to help. They just really wanted to be asked nicely. You know, and, mm-hmm. and 
even, I mean, I would say to them, and my French is terrible. I would say, hi, my French is terrible. I'm wondering if you could help me. And they would help me. They would help me with anything, you know? So it's... I will help you and make you go away, you terrible speaking Exactly. <laughs> Just, oh, no, I, because it was always like the minute I would try to speak French, I would say, no, 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 please. Let's speak in English. <laughs> it was so painful to their ears. Just do not assault my ears with your French. <laughs> now, do you get a chance to travel much, travel out of the country? Because you, you travel a lot for business these days, yeah, right? Um, these days, and, and especially in the old days, I used to travel a lot for business. That is one of the, the really wonderful things about my career. I have been all over the place. I've been in Europe, in a number of different countries in Europe. I've been to China for weeks at a time. Oh, how wonderful. I've been to Australia, to Mexico. Where in China? Um, several different cities in, in the country. Beijing, Guangzhou, Shantou. Um, did a lot of work in Shantou. Uh, but we have facilities in Beijing and Guangzhou and Shanghai. Uh-huh. And I've I've spent a chunk of time in all of those, and we've done a little bit of kind of ethnography, learning about some of the the Chinese culture, trying to get some insights for possible products and things like that. Right, just fascinating, just a wonderful, wonderful experience. China's amazing. Just oh, I've yeah. never been, but I've wanted to go my whole life. The food, the food, yeah. is incredible. Oh. The food is incredible. And, and being there, being there working is very different from being there as a tourist, I yeah. think, because I've never been there as a tourist. Right. Well, except for like the weekends when we'd have off and, right, and that right, sort right. of thing. But working in a facility in China where they, bring, they have a cook come in and cook. You don't bring your lunch. You don't, you know, and, and it's not a cafeteria. I was eating with the management and they had a cook who had just put out a full spread of all sorts of wonderful things. And they had, he prided himself, this president of this facility, prided himself on having excellent cooks for the workers. And, you know, they didn't have as pretty a china, right. but they had fabulous food. Well, this was a food-based company, right? Yeah. Because it was associated mm-hmm. with General well, Mills. Well, so. this was a contract facility, so it wasn't a General Mills facility. We right. were testing a product. Um, but it was a wonderful experience. It, it was we made friends that you know I I sent wedding gifts to some of these people, so it was just a delightful delightful experience and chance to really immerse in a different culture. I have a good friend, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get her on a podcast at some point. She was the costume shop head when I went to grad school, and now she is the costume shop manager for uh, uh, Disney World. Oh, fun. Yeah, and so she's been in China since before Christmas because they're opening up a facility there. And so reading about her posts, and she was writing about how they bring in the food, and and her son was able to come over and spend Christmas with her, her son that I remember as, like, a five-year-old kid who used to run through the costume shop. And now now he's he's got a beard. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, oh. Is there anything better than travel? Coming home. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love being home. Yeah. I really enjoyed the travel yeah. and uh, seeing the different worlds, and I really love coming home. Home and is the best. Sitting by the window, especially in the winter, and watching the birds at the feeder while I knit is... And knowing Wilson's sitting in the next room, studying chess, and the cat's jumping on your lap. It's pretty nice. 
That's, that's the perfect world. Yeah, it just yeah. It doesn't take much for us to be happy. We used to always say we were we were cheap dates, had a low thrill threshold. Yeah. You can get a lot of mileage in life out of having a low thrill threshold. I'm with you, baby. I think low expectations and 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 when I say that, I don't mean you shouldn't expect a lot out of life. But I think that what you expect out of life, if you have realistic expectations, you'll have a really happy life. And if you, um, I think, especially by low thrill threshold, I truly mean thrilled. I really mean looking out, seeing the sun hitting the snow, and a chickadee come to the window to eat that mealworm and getting a thrill out of it. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of living for pretty cheap. <laughs> I, I, you and I, we, we're... We're, we're sisters, and I, I mean, I love to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. I really, it's been a long time since I've traveled, but I, when Jerry got very sick, I sort of made a promise to myself that I would get him out of the country because he had never traveled. Oh, good for you. And you did take that lovely trip. We did a long, we did a, a month-long trip to Ireland, mm-hmm. and we did it by doing a house share. So yeah, that was brilliant. Lovely Presbyterian minister and his wife came over and stayed in our house. Mm-hmm. And their two sons both live in the Twin Cities, and one of their sons was graduating from law school. Oh, and what so a good deal. They actually contacted me. I had put the house up on a house share for Northern England, because I knew uh-huh. I'd be teaching in England for a little bit that summer. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could just get a house there you know, for a few months? And she contacted me and said, I just saw that your house was up, and we're not Northern England, we're Northern Ireland, but would you be interested at all? And it didn't, it didn't match with our timing, it didn't match with anything. And I got off the phone with her, and I'm like, we can't say no to this, because when are we going to have a chance? You know, when? And so we went, and uh, the whole thing, money out of pocket for us was $2,000. For a family of four? For a month. Because we used frequent flyer miles to pay for our airfare. And we used their car. They used our car. We had their house. You know, and so... All we really had to cover was our hotel in Dublin uh-huh. at the beginning and end of the trip. And then we went on this like week-long drive around Southern Ireland just to visit places that you know, we... Uh, I remember about. reading the posts on your blog about that trip, and they were so rich and funny and yeah. touching and just lovely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a magical time, and I wanted so much, and you might feel the same way, I wanted my kids to see that there's nothing they can't do. You know, mm-hmm. if they really want to do something. Now, when I say nothing you can't do, there's, there's a give and a take. You know, if mm-hmm. you want to do something, you might have to give something else up. Right, right. You know, you can't do everything. But if there's something you really want to do, you can do it. You just have to figure out what the, what the price is going to be and are you willing to pay it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to see that if you have your, um, if you have your passport... You can get on a plane and just go anywhere you want to go. I, I think it's good advice. If you can swing it, get your passport. Yeah. Have it ready. You never know. You never know. And, you know, I as, as rough as things are financially, as tough as things would ever be, for me, that I think it's like every 10 years it's, a, it's another $70 to re, re-up it. Now it's probably more like 120 For me, that's just about the best money spent. It's like a lottery ticket that you can actually win on. <laughs> it's like having a golden ticket, and you know, and I keep the kids, you know, keep theirs up, updated, and, and Jerry's also because who knows what might fall out of the sky? What opportunity might come along? I worked at Time Incorporated in the early '80s, 
um, doing magazine production. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, they would fly film around the country. So we had 10, I think it was either 8 or 10 printing plants around the country, and we would fly uh, film from the facility in New York where they would actually, you know, output the film. Mm-hmm. You use the film to make the plates and use the plates to print the magazine. So they take the ah. film and they would fly the film around. When I say the film, it was like the actual typeset pages. Uh-huh. They'd fly it to different locations, and it was, you know, just a... a, a built into a normal financial thing that they had yep. to do. Yep. But if there was a really huge story, you know, somebody died or something big happened, they would have to get that new film out right away. So I would be working in the office and somebody would come by and say, who has a passport? And if you had a passport, <laughs> you, you could be on the next flight to Amsterdam. And they would, cover, they would cover your hotel for three days, you know, because... Um, at the time, if you flew to Amsterdam and you flew right back, it was more expensive than flying there and staying for a few days because of the, like, staying ah, over a Saturday right. type thing. And it never happened to me. Shoot. <laughs> but I always had my passport. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if it's going to happen, I'm going to be ready for it. That's right. You'd hate to miss that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Funny. Oh, yeah. my gracious. Yeah. Boy, times have changed on that front. Yeah, they really have. They really have. Now it's all, it's all totally... Um, electronic and mm-hmm. and even then you, they don't even do the printing that they used to do because so much of the magazines are online. Oh, that's right. You know? That's right. So, so as a knitter, mm-hmm. as a mother, as a grandmother, <laughs> as a podcaster, as a retreat goer and a retreat holder, <laughs> as a bohus knitter. Now, what? If you were going to give someone, a knitter, just really good, like you, your best advice you could give them, and this can be very prosaic or it could be just really grand, what would you say to someone who's, you know, kind of an advanced beginner and wanted to up their game a little bit? Boy, an advanced beginner who wants to up their game, all I could say is just go for it. Yeah. Choose something beautiful. Don't worry about how hard it looks. Right. And if it's gorgeous, like those boho sweaters, yeah. if it's gorgeous and worthy of your time, you will figure out how to do it. And and don't be afraid of frogging. Don't be afraid oh, of tearing no. back. I, I think that there is no sadder thing than to say, I don't want to waste the 10 hours it'll take me to re-knit this. And then instead, you've wasted the 55 hours it takes to knit the sweater because you never wear it because it's not right. Exactly. It's like spending $50 on a jacket you wear every day versus spending $15 on a jacket you wear once and never wear again. Right. The cost per wear is so much better when you buy something that's, that's good. That's right. Same thing with your, you, you know, you put 100 hours into something versus 10 hours. Well, those extra 90 hours, well, yeah, that's extra 90 hours of knitting, but isn't that why we're doing this? That's exactly why we're doing you know, this. If you want a sweater, go nine, to Target. Seriously. It's 90 more hours of joy. That's right. As far as I'm concerned. The greatest thing I learned in knitting the boho sweater, and I started with boho wristlets. Right. And I immersed myself in the boho stickney group on Ravelry. Nice. Um, and then knit this sweater. And I'll tell you what, the women and men in that group who knit boho sweaters 
are fearless when it comes to tearing everything out. Excellent. Ripping it all back. Happily, Brilliant. that yarn really stands well, tearing back Well, that's the beauty of using good yarn. But there is this collective feeling that if we're going to knit a boho sweater, we want it to be right. Yeah. We're not going to settle. We're, we're going to have beauty at the end of this. Right. And, up, oh boy, after you do that at 8 to 10 stitches to an inch gauge and you knit, rip back four inches or an entire sleeve, you are much more willing to rip back at the, uh, you know, worsted weight sweater gauge. <laughs> I've ripped back entire sweaters and started them over because I haven't been happy. Except maybe the sleeves were still good and I went, yes, I have my sleeves done. <laughs> well, and, and, and you and I both know that if you're knitting something and it's going well and you're happy with it, you knit so fast and so lightly. And if you are knitting something and you don't think it's going well, it's like, Plowing the lower forty to get through it's those a, rows. A, a mental burden. It's awful. And, and you, you can't even stand to open joy. up the bag. Knitting lightly. That is a nice term. I like that. <laughs> I like that. And that's exactly that's how it feels. Well, I, I like to say in my classes that when you are knitting a sweater, it's like falling in love. And you might fall in love with someone that society, you know, has has said it's not right for you. Perhaps they are a different religion or, you know, a different age or, you know, all these things that society would tell you. But if you're in love, you're in love, period. And if you're really in love, you do everything to make it work. And then it works and it's beautiful. There you go. And that's how a sweater is. If you really fall in love with a sweater, you will find yourself making it work. I can see that. I absolutely <laughs> can see that. That's how I've definitely felt about a couple of those boho sweaters as I knit the sleeves for the second time. <laughs> it's you know what it's just it's like a little bit of couples counseling that every now and then you gotta do That's a little right. bit of sweater counseling Ellen this has been so lovely and I'm so <laughs> a lot of fun. grateful to you for allowing me to come and chat with you in your beautiful home with your beautiful cats your beautiful <laughs> well, husband walking by <laughs> off to his treadmill so oh he can, so he's, so run, he he's not running it because he wasn't running outside right? no 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 he was joking You've been listening to the Mode Knit Yarn Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. The music in the show is Manchester Mystery by Brett Van Donsel, used with Creative Commons license. Sign up at iTunes to hear all of our podcasts, and you can visit our website at www.modeknityarn.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, all using Mode Knit Yarn. Copyright 2016.